Thanks for tuning into the Foundry Church podcast, where we encourage others to forge a lifelong reliance on God. Join us live, in person, or online at 1030 on Sunday morning. You can find out more about us online at thefoundrychurch.com. Find us on social media by searching The Foundry Work. God bless. Right. Now, as I uh, was putting this shirt on, I was like, you know, I want to look like a referee, but I got to be honest, I think I look more like the Hamburglar. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I'm not sure if you've noticed or anything, but today is Super Bowl Sunday. Today is Football Sunday at the Foundry. And really, right, not just at the Foundry, we know that it is. Super Bowl Sunday all across America, all right? Today is the day that millions and millions of Americans will gather around uh, their TVs. They will be uh, united around a singular idea that the Kelsey brothers' mom should be uh, first flipping the coin at the coin toss, but also reimbursed for all the groceries she probably bought while they were growing up. Listen, even if you don't like football or have no idea who I'm talking about there, Super Bowl Sunday is a great day, right? Sports fans uh, and non-sports fans alike all come together to do one thing, eat, right? right? Eat, right? right? Did you know that this uh, Sunday in February is the second highest day of food consumption in the U.S., right? Uh, behind Thanksgiving, of course, right? Now, uh, that's not what I'm talking about, but... But that's an exciting thing. Listen, guys, nearly 14 billion burgers will be grilled alone today. 14 billion, an estimated 12.5 million pizzas will be ordered today. 11.2 million pounds of potato chips will be eating be eaten today. And that's crazy, right? Now, now, here's my personal favorite fact. The National Chicken Council, which, by the way, is a council that I actually want to be on, Right? So if you know anything about that, let me know. But get this, right? The National Chicken Council projected that Americans will eat a record-breaking 1.4 billion chicken wings over the Super Bowl weekend this year. Right? That represents 100 million pounds of chicken. Now that's crazy. Right? And like I said, here at the Foundry Church, we'll be contributing to this in just a little bit after the service. Right? Super Bowl Sunday is a great day for food makers and food eaters alike. But listen, only if they make the right decisions about said food, right? Because here's another little fun fact about today, uh, this weekend. Tomorrow, right, antacid sales will increase, they estimate, roughly by 20%. And roughly around 1.5 million Americans will call in sick to work tomorrow. All right, so snack wisely, friends. All right, snack wisely because look, right, and this is going to come back later on in the service. If you make a poor decision today, tomorrow could be a rough day, right? And now let me give you an example. In January 1967, the Kansas City Chiefs uh, and the Green Bay Packers 
We're getting too ready uh, to start one of the most American traditions that there is, only behind chocolate chip cookies and chocolate milk, in my opinion. Right? They are getting ready to play the very first Super Bowl, right? 1967. And both teams' players were fast asleep in the hotel, getting ready to prepare for the big game, except for one player, Max McGee. Take a look at this stud, right? <laughs> Max McGee, right? Now, McGee was a tight end, a wide receiver for Vince Lombardi and the Green Bay Packers. But you see, uh, Max McGee was getting a little bit old, and he wasn't playing very much, Right? And so during the season, McGee, he caught only four passes for 91 yards in the entire season. He thought that his time was up, that he wasn't going to play. And so the night before the Super Bowl, before the very first Super Bowl, he broke curfew and he enjoyed a night of partying out in the city. And he didn't return to his hotel, old Max here, partying until 6.30 in the morning. All right, 6.30 in the morning, he stayed out partying. Now, as a former college football player, I can tell you that this is not the first time or the last time that someone is going to break curfew for some fun, all right? But I will tell you that McGee had no idea what was in store for the next day, right? He rolled into the team's warm-ups the next morning with some aspirin, I'm sure, right? Uh, uh, some sunglasses on, right? And he went to the starting wide receiver, and I quote, he said this, I hope you don't get hurt, because I am going to be useless today. I am not in very good shape. Well, you guessed it, right? As luck would have it, or destiny, probably God, right? The starting wide receiver went down with a shoulder injury on the Packers' second drive of the game, and McGee, old McGee, was called onto the field, and he had to run back into the locker room and steal another teammate's helmet because he forgot his, right? <laughs> Well, a few plays later, McGee made a one-handed reception of a pass from Bart Starr, who did not stay out late, and he ran 37 yards to score the first touchdown in Super Bowl history. All right, McGee would go on to record seven receptions for 138 yards and two touchdowns for a Packers win that very first Super Bowl. All right, McGee would go on in the history books as the first person to score a touchdown in Super Bowl history. Right, and for turning around one of the stupidest mistakes, right, one of the stupidest decisions in Super Bowl history. Now, Foundry Church, right, McGee went to bed before the night of the Super Bowl, and he thought that his story was over. Right, he, he thought it was over. He thought he was a failure. He thought he was done, washed up. He thought he was just a player who was going to stand on the sidelines and then party some more that night. Now, have you ever felt like that? Like you were, you were done, you were finished, you were washed up, you, it was just over. You're not worth it, right? For real, have you ever felt like your story was over? Like you were a failure, not good enough, done, unqualified, finished, washed up, right? You ever made the, uh, the dumbest decision in, in your life and you, and you looked around at your family, your friends, maybe even God and said, I sure hope nobody expects anything from me. Because I'm a mess. I'm a mess. Well, Foundry Church, right? Let's be honest here. Let's welcome some authenticity, right? I know that I keep making bad decisions. I don't know if you know this or not about me, but I'm not perfect. It's a shocker, right? It's a shocker, I know. But over, over and over again, I have failed. I have messed up. I've, I've missed the mark with my life. 
right? I haven't loved my, my wife well. I haven't uh, taken care of my family as I, I should in some situations. I, I've lied. I've spent money on things that I, I shouldn't have and put my family in a predicament. I made promises that I did not keep. I, uh, I've not led my family the way that a man should. I, I've yelled when I should have said nothing. Listen, we could go on and on and on. We all could, Right? We all could. All of us have messed up, right? All of us have failed. All of us have come up short or missed uh, the mark in any area of our life. And if you think you haven't failed, and you say, well, not me. If, if you think that there's two things that are true of you. One is that you're blind to your failures. You're kidding yourself, right? You're lying to yourself. You failed even more, right? And the other is that you probably haven't taken enough risks to try enough hard things so that you would be aware of your failures. Listen, every, for example, every player on the field that's going to be playing tonight is hoping that tonight is the night that they don't mess up, right? That they're, they're perfect, that they don't fail, that, that tonight is the night that they, they don't screw up. But church, right? Foundry Church, right? I mean, we know that they're going to make, make mistakes, Right? The, the three teams that are on the field, the offense, the defense, and the, the refs especially, are going to make mistakes. Someone is going to drop a pass. Someone is going to miss a tackle. Someone's going to even fumble the ball. No one is going to get everything right tonight. Because not a, a single one of us has a claim to perfection. Whether it's a, a silly game, like football, right? Or if it's the game of life. We, we don't have the, the claim of perfection. So, so here's the question. How do we, how do we go from constantly, Foundry Church, making poor decisions to finally making right ones? Right? How do we go from uh, missing the mark to a bullseye? Right? That is the tension that we need to deal with today. And I, I think we can form it in a question that's like this. How do we go from failure to winning? Right, how do we go from failure to winning? So not to Jesus juke you. See what I did there? Football juke. All right. I think we can find the answer in God's word. All right. So turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats that are in front of you, and you can take those with you. Those Bibles are free for you to have, to use, to take. Uh, we want you to take them. We want you to give them away. Use them as an invite to church. If you want a Bible, there, there's two different kinds. Pick the favorite one that you like. Take it with you. Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be. All right, and It's in the New Testament. Uh, chapter 9, that's the big number, all right, and that's where we're going to be. So Acts, the fifth book of the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, is where we're going to be. Today we're going to take a look at a man named Saul, all right, who later is renamed to Paul, just so we're not all confused. Right now he's Saul, later he'll become Paul. And just to give you a clue about the choices Saul was making, let me read how he is described in the book of Acts chapter 8, just the chapter before of what we're going to look at today. In eight, chapter 8, verse 3, it says this, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. All right, so this is the dude we're going to talk about today. So let's just say Saul was making some pretty bad choices. Right, he, was, he was messing up pretty bad. 
It's fair to say. He He was missing the mark with his life. Just a few verses before this man, and uh, there was a man named Stephen who would go down in the history books as the first Christian martyr. And guess who ordered the execution of Stephen? Saul did. <laughs> right? So Saul, he's, he's, he's messing up. Right? Right? With, Saul was running around dragging people out of their houses. He was putting them in prison. Or worse, he was putting them to death. Right? He was enemy number one of the followers of Jesus. And even if you weren't a Jesus follower... I'm pretty sure you don't want to get on Saul's bad side. Right? He, he seemed like the kind of guy who said, if you keep messing around, you're going to find out. Right? He, he's like, mess with the bull, you're going to get the horns, if you know what I mean. So let's read what happens in, um, to Saul in Acts chapter 9. Look at verses 1 through 9 with me. It says, but Saul, still... Uh, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what they called the church of Jesus, right? the, the, the Christians, right? the way, if anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You idiot. I added that. And he said, what are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Verse 8 says, So Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him to, by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. All right, keep your finger there. We're going to be right back there. So Saul is making his, uh, his great choices, right? At the beginning of this story, he's making his, his great choices. In fact, he's trying to get even better at making these great choices. Right? He, he wants official powers from the leaders to go out and arrest these Christians, these people of the way. Right? And we've all done that, right? We've, we've made a bad decision and we try to capitalize on that bad decision and things just start compounding, right? And getting bigger and bigger. Right? So Saul eventually meets Jesus on the road. He stands face to face with Jesus, with the results of his decisions. Right? He must stand face to face with the mess of his life. We've all been there, right? And then he's blinded. Right? This light, this, this encounter with Jesus blinds him. Now, some of you are looking at me and thinking, um, I thought we were going to go from failure to winning. Going blind does not look like winning to me, right? Well, let me have uh, Bryant Young, two, uh, 2022 Pro Football Hall of Fame inductee, just inducted last year in the Hall of Fame, defensive tackle for the San Francisco 49ers. He does a brilliant job illustrating this point. Take a, take a look at this video. Toward the beginning of my career, in 1998 to be exact, I had a very severe injury. And here I am flat on my back and I was in so much pain. 
It was a wake-up call for me. And it was that, that God moment where God had my attention. There was nothing I could do. I couldn't run. I couldn't escape. I couldn't do anything physically. And God just really started to speak into my heart. And it was amazing at that time, God strategically placed awesome people, God-fearing, godly men into my life that really challenged me to, to grow in, in a very unique way. There were times where I didn't invite those relationships or I put up that curtain and that facade, but God really challenged me to begin to tear down those walls and allow people to see the real me and, and my brokenness and be authentic and be vulnerable in those moments. It became very real in that relationship, you know, as God continued to speak in my life and those men began to challenge me, my relationship with Christ became very real. So Bryant Young was at his lowest point. In his own words, he says he was flat on his back, right? and that woke him up. He was flat on his back, and then he was awakened. The same was true for Saul, right? He was, he was failing pretty badly, if I might add, right? Making those horrible decisions, and then God blinds him. He is no longer the leader of the pack against God's people, against the way, against the church. He can't lead anything. In fact, he has to be led around by the hand to get anywhere. He literally is in the darkest place of his life, just like Bryant Young, flat on his back, right, at his low point. Right? Have your failures ever brought you to a dark point of your life? Maybe not even failures. Maybe you're just there. Flat on your back, right? Now, I have. I've been there, right? And it's a, it's a humbling experience, isn't it? Right? And I think that's what Saul experienced, an extreme humbling experience, right? Like, like Bryant Young, top of his game, hurt now, can't contribute. Right? It says in the text that Saul, he did not eat for three days. Foundry Church, that means no chicken wings for him, right? <laughs> He was being humbled, right? And here's the thing that I've learned about humbleness. Humility is not self-taught. All right, it's try as we might, we don't just up and humble ourselves by our own bootstraps, right? Humility is always a response in us to trust God himself and his glory and his purpose for our life. Faith. Big steps of faith. That's humility, right? So, so I want you to get this right here, all right? I, I, I want you to grab a hold of this tightly, right? right? White-knuckle this thing. The, the reason we forget about ourselves is because Jesus never forgets us. That's why we can be humble, right? We can afford to be less important uh, to ourselves because we are vastly important to God, you're vastly important to the creator of the world, the creator of the universe. Humility says maybe the God who created the world from nothing by the power of his words knows more than we do. Right? And humility says that the God who formed the first man from the ground and the first woman from the side of that man knows, uh, might know a little bit more about life than we do. Ah, oh, it's humility. 
Right, humility says that God who chose to reveal himself to us to uh, speak words into our world through the, uh, through the prophets and through the apostles to make known himself and his son uh, and his plan for redemption, that God might have an idea of what is best for me. That's humility. Foundry Church. So when we find ourselves with these questions, when we find ourselves in these situations, flat on our back, blinded, sitting in the city like Saul was, whether they, they be from our own doing or not, there is no question right, except for this one, and this is the only question to ask in those situations, am I willing to humble myself to start winning? Am I willing to just let it go and let God take over? to go from failure to winning. And then once you are, if you're going to take that step, you can start listening to the people around you, just like, just like Bryant Young was saying. Or you can listen to the people around you that God has placed there to take and help you to take that next step. Right? Saul needed some people in his life. Just like, like Bryant's life, uh, who would show him what winning looks like after being blinded, after being hurt. And God knows that, and so he sends someone. Read with me the next couple verses of Acts chapter 9 there. So, verse 17 through 19. <clears throat> so it says, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales from his eyes, and he fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, right, so he was baptized, and then he took some wings, he was strengthened. Right? God sent a man to Saul. Now, that man probably did not want to go to Saul. Right? right Saul was hunting these Christians. And God's like, hey, and I just go... Go heal Saul, the guy that's been trying to kill you. Killed your buddy Stephen. That's a whole other sermon, right? But, but, but God sent a man to Saul, a man of the way, a man of the church, a man of faith, someone who has said, God, I'm going to forge my life on you, and I know because of that you've given me a great commission that my life isn't about me now and my safety. It's about going and making disciples. So I'm going to step in. I'm going to go to this Saul. And I'm going to kill him by your power. Because that's what you want, God. Right? And so, so Saul gets this. Right? He, he, he's there. Right? This man goes to Saul and he says, Saul, I'm here. Get your head out of the sand, you idiot. Right? He says, listen to how you're broken. You can't see. You're blind. But God doesn't want you to stay that way. You have a purpose. Right? Sometimes God needs to humble us, to shake us, and to show us our failures, uh, but it never is his intention to leave us broken, to leave us there. Right? Look, God wanted to break Saul so he could fill him and leave him filled, he can raise him up like never before. God wanted the scales to fall off of Saul's eyes so that he could see the truth, Foundry Church. Now, Linebacker, one of my favorite players in the NFL right now, Demario Davis, who plays for the New Orleans Saints, explains this perfectly. Take a look at this video. 
So 2008, December, I'm at this conference and the chaplain has been ministering to me for about a month or two. And it, it just hasn't really been clicking, but all of a sudden I'm in worship and all the words just start making sense. And I'm able to just see, like the scales falling from my eyes, I'll, I'm able to understand why Jesus had to come and die because there was no way for me to make the connection back to God. He washed me clean and he, he was the bridge that allowed me to walk back into a relationship with my Heavenly Father. And all of a sudden I had this immense fire to go and tell people about this relationship that existed with Jesus that I hadn't known before. I just wanted to know more about, about this God that, you know, had been around for, for 19 years that I hadn't created a relationship with, but now I wanted to grow in that relationship. Ever since then, I've just been on fire for the kingdom of God, and I've grown in that relationship, and I've been able to share that with thousands of people, and it's just been amazing. And uh, I wouldn't trade for the world. That, that was my best day ever. Hear him say it? He said, all of a sudden, what? The scales fell from my eyes, and he finally understood. Now, on a side note, do you know what conference he was at? It was being led by our Washington commander's chaplain. Just saying. But just like Saul, just like Saul, DeMario finally understood Jesus. He finally understood that he was incapable of winning by his own power. Incapable of, of winning on his own. Incapable of doing the right thing, even, how, even if the world says it's good. Incapable of connecting to God without Jesus. You see, here's the truth. The real the real win is not always making the right choice. The real win is not always getting ahead. The real win, right, is, is, getting the, is not getting the prize at the Super Bowl, right? This is the real win, right? The, the real win is that we get God. Eternal life with God. The Lord of all, the King of Kings, the great I Am. I mean, sure, we get plenty of other awesome gifts as well, but, but in the end, there are only garnishes around the feast that is simply having God forever. Right? Jesus is so much more than get out of a hell free card. He is, right? With Jesus, we are given the chance to know the infinite, all-satisfying, all-glorious, never-failing Lord of all creation, Foundry Church. Right? And Jesus... Well, he doesn't care about how many times he failed. I mean, just look at Saul. Right? The guy was a punk, right? He was literally killing people, and he thought he was doing the right thing. Right? But he introduced himself. Jesus introduced himself to Saul, and his whole world changed. Right? Take a look at what it says in chapter 9, verse 20 through 22, of where we've been at. It says, And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. Now, let, real quick, right? He accepted Jesus as his Lord, right? He got baptized, right? Immediately, it says. Right? He became a disciple of Jesus, and then what does he do? Because what do disciples do? They disciple others. They get off their butt because they have a new purpose. They have a new game plan. They have a new mission in life. His life changed like that. His purpose changed like that. His mission changed like that. It wasn't about what he wanted. It was about what God wanted. 
Right? And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name or this name? And he, is not, uh, and he has not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest. Right? But Saul increased all the more in strength. He ate more wings. And he confounded, he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. <laughs> Man, I love that, Foundry Church. Right? It says, but Saul increased all the more in strength. He got bolder, stronger, more capable than he ever could on his own. And Saul was a highly educated man. He had every privilege of, of what that world during that time could offer someone. He was a Roman citizen. He was wealthy, right? He had everything going for him. But, but once he got Jesus, once he stepped into a relationship with him, once he said, you know what, my life is not about forging things of my own. It's about Jesus and his mission. He got stronger, right? That's what being humbled by God of the universe can do, right? And then being filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what it does. It increases the strength within us. We can accomplish more. We can live life to the full, abundant life, as Jesus says, because that's a life that we were created to live in the first place, right? All that mess, all the failures, all the, the darkness, whether it's our own doing or, or just the doing of living in a broken world, all that stuff, when we meet Jesus, all that, that junk is replaced with strength in him. With strength in him. And the strength, it changes us, Foundry Church. Changes everything around us, can even change the world if we let it, right? Look at what happens to the church after Saul's acceptance of Jesus. It says this in verse 31. Right? It says, So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it what? It multiplied. It didn't get added to. Right? There wasn't a few people here or there. That stuff multiplied, right? Exponentially, right? And so the church throughout all Judea, all of Galilee, all of Samaria, that's like, that's like saying all of Burke, all of Fairfax, all of the DMV, all of the state of Virginia had peace and was built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied, Saul's story was not one man who kept falling short, being woken up to his mistakes and then just sent back home to fix it. That's not his story, right? His story is of a man who kept missing the mark, who kept failing, but you know what? He said, I'm going to be filled with God. I'm going to forge my life on God because I'm sick of forging it on everything other than God. And then God's kingdom's built. It's multiplied. <laughs> Saul becomes Paul, and the rest is history. He writes half of the, the New Testament, right? <laughs> he takes ground for the kingdom of God, and I just don't mean a few pieces of land. 
right? In fact, because of this one story, you could very easily say that you and me sitting here right now, right now, you and me, this church, all the Christians that are gathering right now in Burke, in America, are here right now because of, of what Jesus did in Saul's life and because Saul responded, right? And you see, in 50 AD, Saul was preparing to go east into Asia with the gospel of the good news of Jesus. Right? He stepped in, right? His whole life changed. He was going to go on this missionary journey. He was preparing to go east, and the Holy Spirit told him, hey, go west, young man, go west. Right? So, so trying his best to follow the, the leading of God, Saul traveled westward to Macedonia, where the city of Philippi is located. Right? Saul took the lessons of Jesus to Rome eventually because of that, the center of the Roman Empire. Then he took it to east, uh, uh, the rest of the way to Europe. And then it was in Europe, there was a little thing called the Reformation. And after the gospel eventually was brought into America to escape religious persecution. Now this is a widely complex history shrunken down with absolutely no nuance. <laughs> but all this is to say this, right? No matter how weak you think you are, no matter how much you failed, God can still fill you up with his Holy Spirit and use you to change the world. Right? Remember what DeMario Davis said after his life changed? He was able to share Jesus with thousands of people. <clears throat> right? You can have the strength to win at what really matters because of Jesus. It's not the Super Bowl. It's sharing Jesus. What he's done for you and what he can do for your friends, for your family, for your neighbors, for your coworkers. Like, look, look, look at this. Right? With Jesus, you will remain undefeated in the battle. Undefeated. Remember at the beginning of our message here today, we said this. Right? Excuse me. If you make a poor decision today, tomorrow could be a rough day. Now, here's the truth that we can cling to. With Jesus, even if we make poor decisions today, we can still have that victory tomorrow. We all mess up. That's why his grace is unending. Right? It's always there, right? Because if we humble ourselves after, after those poor decisions and fill up with the Holy Spirit, Jesus will always have the victory at hand. We just have to be obedient, right? Jesus will always remain undefeated in battle. And because we are his, because we made him the Lord of our life, because we say, God, we want to forge our life on you, we'll be undefeated. Because it's his spirit that comes inside of us and is at work in this world, in those battles, in the battles that really matter, in the battles over things like lust, in the battles over things like anger, in the battles over things like shame and regret and worry, right? He has victory. He has, he has victory in the battles over things like sin, missing the mark, death, the grave. He has victory, Foundry Church. Jesus always wins in those battles. Now, I love how Nick Foles, former Eagles quarterback who helped them win their last Super Bowl, explains this process. Take a look at this video.
I grew up in a Christian household, going to church almost every Sunday. And then I even went through confirmation in high school and crossed the T's and dyed the I's. You know, I knew who God was, but there was not that relational aspect. Until a day, my freshman year of college, there was a month where both my grandmothers passed away. I'm in Michigan, I'm from Texas. I had just had my right shoulder surgically repaired, was lonely, was isolated, and God brought me to my knees at a moment. I was in a parking garage, it was nighttime, and I just started crying. I was hurting so bad. And at that moment, you know, all those moments in church and growing up, I realized that, you know, I hadn't really given my life to Christ. And in that moment, I said a prayer to God, just saying like, God, I don't know why these things are happening. I know that like, I don't have the confidence or strength right now, but I'm gonna do whatever it takes. I'm, I pray that I glorify you through my actions and I wanna walk through life with you. And in that moment, that's where I gave my life to Christ. The journey begins and there's gonna be ups and downs, but I've always had Christ to walk right by my side and the word of God to guide me. So that was the best day of my life. Now, Nick explained it so well. He was humbled and he looked to God and his whole life changed. He became victorious. Victorious. Look at what it says in 1 John 5, 4. All right, just flip over to 1 John towards the very end of the Bible. Simply says this. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. Now let me, real quick, let me zoom out here. Because I want to make this super, super duper plain, right? And as simple as possible. So how do we go from, or, or I'm sorry, how do we go, uh, do we become born of God, like it says here, right? Like we said, the, the tension of going from failure, just missing the mark, to winning. Let me explain, right? This is how it works. The, the first action in all this is to hear the story of God. Right? And the story of God, you might have heard it called the gospel. Right? The, the good news, that's what gospel means, the good news. And that's just the story of Jesus. That's all that means. It's his story. right? And it goes like this. There's us, and then there's God. Right? There's us and there's God, right? God created us to have a relationship with him, to have an adventure of a lifetime, actually to have an adventure for all of eternity. That's why he created us. He says, man, I want to be your buddy and we're going to just do some cool stuff, right? He created us for that, right? To live our best life, and that life is a life that is forged on him, a wonderful and a very powerful life, Foundry Church. But here's the problem. Right? The, the Bible tells us that the first human beings, a couple named Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. And let's not be too hard on them, because we would too if we were in their shoes. Maybe not, maybe not with the snake and the fruit, right? But as soon as God told me how to grill a steak, and he said, don't eat that. I would have messed up too, right? So that's the problem, right? Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. Now the Bible calls this sin or the fall. And what that is, is separation from God, right? right? Sin literally means missing the mark. You hear me say it all the time because I think our world messes up that word a lot. 
All right, but sin in the original Hebrew language just means it's an archery term. It means you shot your arrow, you didn't hit the bullseye. In fact, you, you shot it over in the ditch somewhere in the mud. You missed the mark, all right? And we've all been there. We've all missed the mark, right? And that bullseye, that thing that we should be aiming for, the thing that we missed for us, mankind, is God. Right? It's forging our life on him, being a disciple who makes disciples, right? Living out his mission for us. So when this happened, when Adam and Eve, they missed that bullseye and they sinned, it created this separation between mankind and God. Now, before you get all crazy and think that God is just mean, all right? The separation doesn't exist because he's mad at us. It doesn't exist because he hates us or because he's, he thinks we're stupid for missing the mark. It's just that God is perfect, right? He's perfect, and he doesn't miss the mark. We miss the mark, right? And would we want a God, would we want to forge our life on a God who does miss the mark? I don't know about you, but I don't. I want a perfect God because that's who he is. Right, and so he can't he can't be next to us because because we missed the mark, and so the gospel, the story of God, the story of Jesus, it continues. Every human being since Adam and Eve have disobeyed God. Right, I mean, be honest, right? You've disobeyed God. We all have. Maybe we didn't break one of the great ten. Right, we've all done something that we know we shouldn't have done. And we've all missed the mark with our life. Right now, most of us, we're aware of this separation, of this gap and the mistakes that we've made. So we assume that we can make it better. And so we try to do things to get back to God. We try to do things like close the gap uh, to get our arrow back on track and hit the bullseye. Now, the Bible, it tells us that there's nothing we can do to close the gap, to restore our relationship with God. We just can't say, hey, we're going to work harder. We're going to go to church more. We're going to stop cussing. Uh, We're going to repay the money that we took. Whatever it is, that's not how it works, right? We we just can't do that. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, for all have sinned, all have missed the mark, all fall short of the glory of God. We can't get across the gap. In fact, we make it bigger, right? We make it bigger, because again, I don't know about you, but I mess up all the time. Right? And I get it. It stinks. It really, really does. It's a big bummer. It's terrible. But it gets even worse, Foundry Church. Romans 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin, because we added to the gap by missing the mark, is death. Death. Because of the separation we added, we should be killed. We should be sent to death row. Right? That's why in the Old Covenant... The, the, the Jewish people had to take, take an unblemished animal and kill it, sacrifice it, right? Because death had to be the penalty, right? The Bible tells us that sin must be punished, and that punishment is death or eternal separation from God, eternal life in hell separated away from God, and a life on the wrong side of this stupid gap. Now, I hate to admit this, but this is the truth. And again, I get it. It sucks, right? It just does. But it doesn't stop here. This is not the end. This picture is not the end. Right? God wants us to be free from hell. Free from this separation. Right? 
And so I love, I love, I love this. He says, quit sacrificing these stupid animals that can't pay the price ultimately. And he says, I want you to be free to live with me for all of eternity. And so what does he do? He provides a way for us to have this relationship, to have this adventure with him, to close the gap once and for all. And so what does he do? He sends his son, God in the flesh, into this world. God wants us so bad to live a life that is forged on him that he became human in Jesus, God the Son. And he went to the cross. He went to death for us. He paid the penalty that we could not pay. He crossed the gap of separation that we could not cross. Right? Jesus died in our place. His death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins, past, present, and future. Right? For us missing the bullseye. And look at what the, the cross does. You see that? Right? The, the cross is the bridge that gets us across the gap and restores our relationship with God the Father. It blocks out hell, the eternal separation, the eternal separation from God. Now, let me be honest, Foundry Church. It's not enough just to know this. Right? It's being honest. Right? You, you, you know it up here. Right? You might have heard this before. You might have heard it right now for the first time, this, this gospel, this story. But look, that's not enough just to know it right here. It's got to get here. It's got to get here. Right? We've got to get it down in our hearts. We've got to get it down into our guts. And that is where free will comes into play. Right? God doesn't want any minions. He created you to have a relationship with him. Right? He wants you. So you got to choose that, right? We got to get it down here. We got to own it. And we do that by responding with some action, right? We heard the gospel, the story of separation and Jesus coming to close that gap by his death on the cross. And then we have to believe, right? John chapter 3, verse 16 says this For, for this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So we hear it, we believe it, and then the Bible tells us to repent, right? Now, in Acts chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, Now repent of your sins and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped away, cleaned, gone, wiped away. Repent from the separation that we remade. Repent from the dirt that we got on us because we missed the mark and we shot our arrow into the mud. Repentance is saying, God, I've been forging my life on everything other than you. Forgive me. Right? It's what Saul did. Right? God, I've missed the mark. I thought that I was doing the right thing, but it wasn't. Right, repenting is saying, God, I've been doing things my way, and now I want to do things your way. Right, it is confessing that, that you cannot live your best life on your own. What is that? Humility. Right? We just talked about that you have to live a life that is forged on God. So you repent from your old way of living, adding to the gap by missing the mark, and you repent, and then it says you confess that you want Jesus to be your Lord. Right? And you do what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Where it says, each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. These are steps that you can take today. Moving that, that, that gospel from your head 
to your heart. It's saying, I'm sick of living life my way. Because I suck. <laughs> and I want to live my life for God, and I want to live a life forged on Him. And so I'm going to confess Him to be my Lord. I'm going to repent of my ways. I'm going to meet him in the waters of baptism. I'm going to be buried to this old life of mine under the water, come out of the water to a new creation, to a new birth, to a new life that is forged on God. Life that we were created to have in the very first place. This is living a life of action. As I invite the band to come back up, again, let me make it very clear. This is not something for fun or something that you do on your own convenience. It's a commitment. Right? It's not just a chance to go swimming at church, like baptism. Right? There's water back here. Right? <laughs> it's a chance to meet Jesus in the tomb of water, to come alive to a new life, and to say, I believe, and I will live life for God and God alone, to hell with the other. <laughs> so if you haven't done this, Maybe you've been thinking about it, and you've just been uh, kind of glued to that seat for a little bit too long. We have everything for you. There's water in there. There's swimsuits, T-shirts. There's towels. There's confetti cannons because we're going to celebrate, <laughs> right? And there's even chicken wings. Now, you can really take Saul's example. I didn't even think of this, right? I mean, like where he said he, was, he immediately was baptized. He gave his life to Jesus. He was immediately baptized, and then he ate. They're bringing them in. I can see them. There's wings out there. You can do that today. Or if I said something and you just want, want to talk about it a little bit more, I can talk to you after service. I hang out up here. And I'm always around. And you don't have to do it on a Sunday. Victoria over here, she, said, she led someone, she showed them this gospel story a few weeks ago. And we baptized them on a Wednesday. But let me hold your feet to the fire. You've heard it. Now believe it. Confess Jesus to be your Lord. Repent. Meet him in the waters of baptism. Finish this loop. Do it. Let's stand. Let's worship together. Let's celebrate this God that we forged our life on and that you can forge your life on and understand that a life that is forged on him is a life of purpose and of mission and a life that means that we're going to be a disciple of his and we're going to go out and we're going to make disciples. That's our God.